Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 16, 21 through 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be Won't you please pray with me for just a moment? Oh, Heavenly Father, your word wants to do a good work in our hearts today. Your word wants to inspire and encourage and convict us. Your word wants to bring light and life to us. And so we are open and receptive, trusting in the power of your spirit and the wisdom of your word to do a good work. We receive with joy and we commit ourselves to live out our faith as you empower us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. So several years ago, I used to have a Jeep, a Jeep Wrangler. Loved that car. And uh, when the weather was nice, I'd take the top down and I would take the doors off. That was a lot of fun. And I remember one particular beautiful summer day. It was a Saturday. I had a wedding up here at church. And I'd, I'd driven up to get ready for the wedding. Had the top off the Jeep and the doors off. And parked over here in the parking lot. And as I was coming into the office to get ready for this wedding, a little voice in my head just just said, hey, you ought to put the top up on the Jeep. You never know what the weather might be later on in the day. And then almost as soon as that thought came to me, another little voice seemed to say, oh, yeah, it's not supposed to rain today. And you know how it is around here. Even when thunderstorms do roll in, they're usually not till later in the afternoon and evening. This is a one o'clock wedding. You'll be done by two, out the door by 2.30. You'll have plenty of time. It's going to be okay. So I decided not to put the top up on the Jeep. You can see where this story's going, can't you? Came time for the wedding. I'm standing right about here and the nervous groom right next to me and the best man next to him. And just about the time the bride is coming down the aisle being escorted by her dad, I hear a rumble of thunder. And I look outside. It's no longer bright and sunny. Now it's dark and windy. And the wind is just blowing. And I see my Jeep sitting out there with the top down. And I think to myself, well, maybe it'll blow over because it's not supposed to be a storm today. Then right about the time I started in with the dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the presence of God and these witnesses. Right about then it started to rain. And I don't mean it was just a little sprinkle. It was a deluge. It was pouring. In fact, it was raining so hard, the sound tech had to turn up the volume of my microphone so I could be heard above the sound of the rain hitting the roof. And I looked out there at the corner of my eyes. I could see my Jeep. <laughs> Top down, doors off. About the time they were putting the ring on the finger, a tear formed in the corner of my eye. 
No doubt the bride and groom were thinking, oh, he's caught up in the moment. Actually, I was thinking about my Jeep. And at the conclusion of the service, as I pronounced them husband and wife and did the benediction over them, my, my voice just cracked a little bit with emotion. And no doubt everybody at the wedding was saying, what a wonderful pastor. He, he so loves people. But I really loved my Jeep. Can I tell you, it was a soggy ride home that day. And I thought about, I thought back to that, that moment when I had a decision to make about what to do and I decided not to mess with the Jeep, to just leave the top down. I thought about how decisions can affect us in ways we, we hadn't fully anticipated. Because the reality is, friends, every decision you and I make impacts our life in some way. We make our decisions and our decisions make us. I love the way Stephen Covey puts it. He says, you are not a product of your conditions. You're a product of your decisions. A good question you and I can ask ourselves this morning is, what kind of decisions am I making in my life and where are they taking me? What are they making of me? Decisions. That God gives us this freedom to make decisions. But with every decision, there is a consequence. And so we want to talk today about what it means to make wise decisions in a world that sometimes is confusing. And uh, we want to welcome you back to a series we began several weeks ago on the life and the teachings of Jesus, who He is, what He did, why that matters. And so far we've looked at some of the stories Jesus told and we've looked at some of the miracles Jesus performed. Now we're into a new section. We're looking at some of the questions Jesus asked. Jesus was more than a teacher, but he was a teacher. And like any master teacher, Jesus knew the power of asking a provocative question to get people to think and reflect on their lives and what's really important. And Jesus used questions so well. And so we're looking at some of those questions. And last week we looked at the question Jesus asked about worry when he when he asked the question, can any of you by worrying add even one hour to your life? And hey, if you miss that, you can go online and catch up on, on online in the sermons. Uh, but uh, today we're going to move on. We're going to look at another question Jesus asked. A question that Jesus asks about the value of our soul. He says, who uh, of you would gain the whole world but lose your soul? What does it profit to gain the whole world but lose your soul? And we're in Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 21. Kind of give you some background on this passage. Jesus is doing what he had to do several times as he was working with his disciples, he had to explain to them what his mission was and why he had come because they had a totally different understanding. There's always this this challenge, Jesus trying to help his disciples understand that he had come to give his life as a ransom for many, to die for the sins of the world and then to be raised from the dead. He came to suffer for our sins. The disciples couldn't understand that. They thought Jesus had come to be a conquering king and Jesus kept saying, no, I'm here to be a suffering servant. They kept thinking, Jesus has come to overthrow the Roman Empire with overwhelming force. And Jesus kept saying, no, no, I've come to save the world with sacrificial love. The disciples were looking for someone who would kill for the cause. And Jesus kept saying, no, I'm here to die for the cause. And then Jesus says to them these odd words about, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, you've got to give up your life in order to find it. Jesus is not encouraging some kind of weird suicide cult. Jesus is just explaining reality. That some decisions are so important that once you make them, it changes everything. And when you make the decision to follow Him, it means you have to let go of some other things. 
It requires sacrifice. It requires commitment. Here's the truth. Nobody drifts into commitment for Jesus. You prioritize and discipline your way into commitment to Jesus. It's such a big decision. It's such an important decision. And it's not a decision we make only once. It's a decision that we make on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. What's going to be most important to me and why? In fact, that word decision, it's an interesting word. It means to cut off or cut away. You know what the word incision means, right? Incision means to cut into. Decision means to cut off or cut away. And what Jesus is saying is, when you make a decision to follow me, you are, by that decision, cutting away, cutting off other options. Every decision is like that. And the amazing miracle is that when we make that decision to follow Jesus and make the sacrifice required to be one of His people and live life His way, we find what it is we're truly looking for. Because it's easy to look for love in all the wrong places. If I could quote an old country song. Jesus says, if you really want to find what you're looking for, it's going to cost you, but it's going to be worth it. And it's going to start with a decision. With a decision to be the person I'm asking you to be. And so he's explaining this to his disciples. And and as as he's explaining this, he asks them the question. He, He says, what would it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their very soul? Or, or, or what would you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus is using economic terms to describe reality. Every decision you and I make is a profit or loss kind of decision. We're, we're thinking, what will I gain and what will I lose with every decision? When I made that decision to leave the top down off on the Jeep, I was making a decision to gain about four or five minutes where I didn't have to bother with putting the top up on the jeep but then that came at a cost now there's all kinds of decisions the student who makes a decision to spend most of their free time watching tv playing video games instead of doing homework is gaining some time of entertainment and enjoyment but it's costing the opportunity to learn and grow and do well in school the, the, the person who goes down to the mall with their credit card and buys stuff they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even know is getting some gain, the initial charge of buying something and owning something new and getting something they want, but it's coming at a cost. Now you're in debt. You've got to figure out how to pay it all off. right? See, every decision, big and small, is, comes with a cost-benefit analysis that we make in our minds. And here's what Jesus wants us to see. Sometimes we choose poorly because we don't understand what's really important. Every decision is a reflection of value, but sometimes we don't value the right things in the right way. You're in church here today. You made it here. You made a decision to be here. But by making a decision to be here, you cut yourself off of other options between 9.45 and 11 o'clock. No, we won't go that long, but... But you made a decision, you calculated in your mind, and you decided this was worth being here, and I say good for you. Thank you for being here. But but the point is, every decision is a gain or a loss. But if you don't have the right value system, you make bad decisions. And that's what Jesus is getting at. In fact, when we look at this question Jesus asks, we want to recognize a truth, a warning, and a promise. A truth, a warning, and a promise. First, the truth. Here's the truth. Nothing is more valuable than your soul. Your soul is the most valuable thing you have. It's the real you. It's the deepest part of you. It's the only part of you that will be eternal. The French mystic Teilhard de Chardin put it this way. He said, 
We are not physical bodies with a soul inside of us. We are fundamentally souls temporarily enclosed in a physical body. Uh, I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. See, we sometimes get faked out because we're in this physical world. We think the, the world is primarily physical, but the world reality is primarily spiritual. That's why we have to make decisions based on the, what's really valuable. And what's really valuable is our soul. Right? What profits the soul? What benefits the soul? What makes a healthy, holy, happy soul? That should be the basis of our decisions. What is your soul worth? Business Insider Magazine a couple of years ago wrote an article about a woman named Lori in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who tried to sell her soul on eBay. And uh, bidding started at $100, got all the way up to $2,000 before eBay cut it off and said, no, we're, we're not going to sell souls on eBay. Right? But she tried. And it's hard to know. It's hard to know. What is the value of a soul? Homer Simpson in The Simpsons once tried to sell his soul to the devil for a donut. Yeah. I don't know if you uh, are familiar with the 1930s uh, short story that was very popular called The Devil and Daniel Webster. Uh, this guy, the main character, Jabez Stone, tried to sell his soul to the devil for 10 years of prosperity in his business. And Business Insider magazine said based on his business, his value of 10 years prosperity back in the 1930s would have been about $1.7 million. Is the soul worth $1.7 million? Probably a lot more than that. Right? When you consider what Jesus did on the cross to save our soul, when you consider how hard the devil tries... To destroy our soul. Then you begin to recognize the value of the soul. And the question Jesus asks, what would you give in exchange for your soul? The implied answer is nothing. Because there's nothing valuable enough to trade your soul for. So that explains the question. What does it profit to gain the whole world but lose your soul? The answer is it profits nothing. It's disaster. See, when we recognize the truth that the soul is the most valuable thing we've got, it changes the way we make decisions. We begin to make a different kind of decision about what we do with our time, our effort, our energy, our priorities. So that's the truth. Nothing's more invaluable than your soul. Now, here's the warning. It's easy to neglect that which is most valuable. Have you noticed? It's easy to neglect the soul. It's easy to ignore what's most important because we live in this physical world where we tend to focus all our time and effort and energy on the, the physical things. The toys, the trinkets, the trophies, the trivia. See, this world does not teach us to pay attention to what really matters. And because of that, we don't pay attention to what really matters sometimes. Jesus wants us to make decisions that invest in the soul. Not that, we have, not that we should ignore the physical realities of life. We have responsibilities and we have needs that are physical. But fundamentally, to see that the spiritual is more important and valuable. It's easy to get faked out. Parents. Parents, look up here a second. I'm saying this now as a grandfather. It's easy for us to model for our kids in our conversations and our behaviors, that what matters most is the physical. Their grades in school, their SAT scores, how they're doing on the sports and the ball field, and, and you know, what, what, you know how, the, how they're doing, how they're getting along with 
with their part-time job? And do they have a car? Do they have braces on their teeth? Are they taking their vitamins? Are they eating their vegetables? It's important. And I'm not saying none of that stuff. Is, that stuff's important. Hear me. But it's easy to focus so much on that that the, the kids never understand that the most important thing is spiritual. It's the soul. It's so easy for us to... Your responsibility, my responsibility as a parent does not end with they're well-fed, they're well-clothed, there's a roof over their head, they're doing well in school, they're taking their vitamins. It doesn't end there. The question is, how are they doing in growing their soul? Right? How are they doing? How, how, how do they see mom and dad making sure that the spiritual is critically important in our lives? That it's valuable to us? That it's a priority for us? Because this world doesn't teach us to pay attention to what matters most. Consider two basketball players, Michael Jordan and David Robinson. Both of them great ball players. Now, Michael Jordan, considered by many to be the greatest to ever play the game. And if I try to go through for you today all of the accolades and all the awards and honors that Michael Jordan has received, we'd be here all day. But let me just remind you, he was six-time NBA champion and Six-time MVP of the playoffs. Ten-time scoring champion. Perennial all-star. He was an amazing basketball player. Wouldn't you agree? And uh, you remember at the height of his career, that commercial by Gatorade, you want to be like Mike? All the kids, man, they want to be like Mike. I dream I could be like Mike. Mike was something on the basketball court. But David Robinson was no slouch. They played about at the same time. In fact, they both retired the same year. But David Robinson has a pretty good resume. You know, David Robinson played for the San Antonio Spurs. Ten-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year in 1990, MVP in 1995, two-time NBA championship. Michael and David both were part of the dream team. The original dream team back in 1992 won a gold medal at the Olympics. They both retired in 2003, both had amazing careers, both well-respected. But, you know, it's interesting when you track their lives after basketball, you see two different stories emerging. ESPN, the magazine, did a report on Michael Jordan when he turned 50 years old a couple years ago. And they pointed out how Michael has struggled to find peace in his life after his basketball playing career has ended. In fact, sources who are close to Jordan point out that he often complains of feeling adrift and restless and frustrated. He has no real sense of identity now that his playing days are over. He has $1.4 billion. And he has enough money to buy all the toys people say make you happy. And he's bought them all. He's got all the, the trophies in the trophy case you could ever imagine. He's a permanent celebrity, loved and adored by millions, treated like a god in Chicago, married to a supermodel. Michael has every reason to be full of joy and contentment, and he has none of it. In fact, he's envious and jealous of current-day NBA superstars. He believes he could still beat them out there on the basketball court. He tries to drown himself in amusements like golf and gambling. And he says in the interview, he says he's still driven, but he doesn't understand what it is that's driving him. And he asks this question. He says, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? Michael Jordan, I think Jesus would say, Michael Jordan has gained the whole world. But he's lost his soul. Do you still want to be like Mike? 
David Robinson has a much different story after basketball. In fact, David Robinson would say his most significant accomplishments never took place on the basketball court. He's a deeply committed Christian. In fact, he gave his life to Christ on June 8, 1991, after his first year in the NBA. And his devotion to follow Jesus has caused him to make a certain set of decisions that have given him perspective on his NBA career and purpose beyond the basketball court. For David Robinson, it's never been about basketball. It's been about learning to honor the Lord in whatever area of life God places you. In fact, now that his NBA career is over, he's involved in a lot of things. He's always been active in his local church. In fact, even during the the rigors of the NBA season, David still gave a great deal of priority to his church and his connection to the Lord through his local church. Now he has even more time to invest in his church. One of his most recent projects is the Carver Academy, a a private charter school for inner-city kids. And David has given $9 million of his own money to help start that, and he's very actively involved with it. That's just one of many things he does to try to be a, a person who gives back to the community and demonstrates the love of Christ. Now, what's the real difference between Michael and David? My guess is you see it by now. It's the decisions they make. It's the decisions they have chosen to make. Because here's the truth. Their circumstances are about the same. They're both superstars. They both have plenty of money. They both have everything the the world says is important. But they make a different set of decisions with what to do and who to be and how to invest themselves. See, we're not a product of our circumstances. We're a product of our decisions. And I don't mean to disparage Michael Jordan. You know, Good for him. He's successful. And men, if God could ever get a hold of him, or should I say, if Michael would ever let God get a hold of his heart, what great things could he accomplish for the kingdom of God? But here's the reality. What does it profit to gain the whole world but lose your soul? This world does not teach us to pay attention to what really matters. You and I may not be billionaires or millionaires, but it still applies to us as well. We make our decisions. Our decisions make us. And if we chase after the things of this world, and if we make the things of this world the most important things, and all our decisions are based on how can I get more, have more in this world, in the process we will lose our soul. So, here's the truth. Nothing's more valuable than soul. Here's the warning. It's easy to forget and neglect what's really the most valuable. And now the promise. Caring for your soul and making that a priority in your life is worth the investment. It's worth it. Jesus says, I will come back someday and reward every person according to what he has done. Now, some people think of that as a threat, but it's meant to be a promise. Jesus is saying, look, I know to decide to follow me. I know to live life my way is going to cost you something. But the gain far outweighs the cost because a day is going to come when you're going to stand before me. And you're either going to wish you had or you'll be glad you did invest in your soul. You'll either wish you had or you'll be glad you did. So Jesus invites us now to pay attention, to make that kind of decision. Because it's a decision that, that can have eternal consequences. And friends, hear this. The church is here to help you invest in what matters most. The church is here to remind you of how important it is to tend to and care for your eternal soul. Jesus established the church. Sometimes people say, well, the church is just man-made religion. No, it's not. Jesus told Peter, I will build my church. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit 
to build the church. The church is the body of Christ, the Bible says. We're the bride of Christ. We're the community that represents Jesus to the world. And we demonstrate our commitment to Jesus by getting connected and involved in the the church. That's how we grow our soul. And and that's important because it's easy to kind of forget the value of church. Here at Ebenezer, we take church very seriously. We offer environments and experiences that help people focus on what really matters. But you've got to make the decision. Is church going to be important to me? Is it going to be valuable to me? Am I going to demonstrate that to my children, to my neighbors? You know, the, the Pew Research Center came out with a report a few months ago that just confirmed what many of us pastors have already figured out. People are attending church less and less regularly and consistently. And uh, when they ask people what is taking them away from church, the top three answers are sports, entertainment, and shopping. And uh, let, me, let me say something. There's nothing inherently wrong with sports, entertainment, and shopping. Nothing inherently wrong with them. It's just that they're trivial. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things occasionally, but to neglect... What we do here in order to pursue these things. And the truth of the matter is, you don't have to not ever go shopping or not be involved. I can, I can point to you right now, parents in our church who got kids heavily involved in sports and yet they're here every Sunday. And they're teaching Sunday school. I can talk to you right now about people in this church who work 70 hours a week, drive up and down I-95, get up early, get home late, and they're here every Sunday. I can tell you about a single mom with three kids who's here every single Sunday. I can tell you about a nurse who works the night shift, and when she gets off work, she is here in church to worship God. Hardly ever misses. I can tell you about a, a couple with, with season tickets to the Nats, and they come every week in their Nats gear at 8.15. They, uh, the husband works the video, and the, the, the wife helps as a, as a greeter. I can tell you about a couple that drives down here every Sunday from Fairfax, Virginia, to be ushers in our church on Sunday and welcome people. Here's the, here's the, and here's why I tell you that. Because all the time I hear from parents, well, we got sports, can't be there. Oh, well, you know, it's a long drive sometimes. Oh, well, we got this going on, we got that going on. And here's what I'm saying. It's not your conditions that's keeping you here, keeping you from getting here. It's not your conditions that are keeping you from getting here. It's your decisions. Just be honest about it. I'm choosing sports over church. I'm choosing other things over worshiping God with my family. I'm choosing other things. It's my decision. I'm making it. At least be honest about it. And then see how the Holy Spirit impresses on you the importance of what we do here. Because here's, if you understand what Jesus did on the cross for you, and if you understand the value of your soul, then you'll appreciate the importance of church. Because it's not your circumstances that determine who you are and what you become. It's your decisions. And every decision you and I make is turning us into a certain kind of person. And so Jesus just wants to warn us. Decisions matter. Priorities matter. This world will not teach us to pay attention to what matters most. You've got to make the decision that you're going to do that. Because nothing's more valuable than the soul. And what does it profit? To gain the world, but lose your soul.